presented to them. He rolls with the man's change in pronouns. He simply meets the man where he's at. Jesus sees the pain and dislocation of the man. He's not trying to change everything. He just simply meets him with compassion and, as a result, orders these demons to come out of him. Jesus' presence and authority prompts a response from the demons afflicting this man because what is present before them is the pure love of God. The demons know that their time is up in the face of God's love. Jesus commands them out. They flee to the pigs, and they drive the entire herd, 2,000 pigs, into the lake, drowning them all. This is a pretty dramatic scene. If you grew up in the church, it's like, okay, yeah, Jesus heals it. But think about it. If you're there, 2,000 pigs rushing down a hill into the, into the lake. It's so dramatic, in fact, that we don't actually know what happens to this man until after the people in the town respond to the pigs drowning themselves in the lake. Take a look at verse 30. After Jesus commands them, the pigs run into the lake. Verse 32 to 34, all the people run and find out what's going on in our town. And it's only after they discover all this devastation to their livestock that they, just, they meet this man who we're told is sitting at Jesus' feet, in his right mind, dressed. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Now this Greek word, this now this Greek word, this word that's translated "cured" in the NIV comes from the Greek word "sozo," which is also translated as "healed" or "saved." It's the root word where we get the term "salvation." The healing here experienced by the man is more than some eternal condition and promise after he dies, in life after death. In these few brief verses, we see that the kind of salvation Jesus offers to him, but to all of us, is holistic. Yes, this man needed to be saved from, his, from demonic affliction, and Jesus certainly gives him that. But Jesus demonstrates that the kingdom of God arriving in this man's life brings so much more. Through his encounter with Jesus, the Son of God, we are told that this man is now in his right mind. He's dressed. He's no longer acting in socially unacceptable ways. His entire soul and being were restored and transformed to health. And as a result, this man could likely experience the possibility of restored relationships once again, to participate as a member of his society. Rather than being known as someone to be feared in the community and as a drain on society, he might actually contribute and add value to his community and participate with his people. We see here salvation in the kingdom of God is concerned with wholeness at multiple levels. Wholeness, wellness in all parts of our lives. Not just in one's relationship with personal relationship with God. Not just with your destructive habits, not just with your eternal destiny. This is Jesus' vision of wellness that he comes to offer you and I and the whole world. In fact, for this man, when this whole person salvation comes to him, others recognize the change. But people 
don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with Jesus. The man experienced this whole person transformation, whole person salvation that Jesus and his kingdom came to bring. But the people, we find, didn't want to have anything to do with it. In verse 38, what are we told? No, verse 37. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Luke describes how they were afraid of the unknown. Rather than rejoicing in regaining a fellow member of their community, possibly a son, possibly a husband of a family, they could only see the loss of their 2,000 pigs. 2,000 pigs were worth more to this town than this man being healed. They were afraid of the economic impact and what they might have to give up in light of God's kingdom arriving in their midst. You see, Jesus' offer of whole person salvation, when that arrives in our lives, do we really welcome Jesus' holistic wellness program for us? Might we say we want to respond like this man, but in reality, respond like the people in the town? In fear. Fear of what you might have to give up. Fear of the status quo and what you've become accustomed to. Where do you feel resistance towards the work of God's kingdom in your life? Because of its implications. Hey, Jesus, you mean your wellness program has something to say about how I spend my money? What's this, 10% of my gross income? 10% of gross, not, not net, gross, to give towards my local faith community? What is this? And you're asking me to give charitable donations on top of that? What about Jesus' wellness program, having something to say about how I choose to spend my time and how I order my priorities? You mean Jesus' wellness program has something to say about how my decisions and actions affect those around me? Okay, Jesus, sounds great. It's good for that person over there. That man, he had some problems. I'm glad he's found you. But, works for them. But for me, you know, keep moving on, Jesus. Keep moving on. Even more, is our view of salvation offered by Jesus far too limited? Do we view salvation only as a status change for us after we die in this life? Or maybe we view salvation as some theological construct to joust over with other Christian traditions or with other people of other faith? Or do we view salvation as holistic transformation of our being that spills over into all the relationships we have with others around us? Jesus' wellness program, a.k.a. salvation, changes everything. Salvation changes everything because ultimately, the salvation offered by Jesus also includes a vocation. You know, most people lean into a faith tradition in times of need. 
especially in the global West, where we are relatively comfortable, we're relatively healthy compared to wealthy and wealth, healthy and wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Most of our basic needs are provided for, even with all of the challenges here in America. It's when we hit a point in our lives where our reality doesn't seem to match our ideals, our expectations, and particularly in times of crisis, that's when we might begin to consider calling out to God. And for many of us who have encountered the reality of God, it often changes the trajectory of our lives. We discover God's love for us, and this imbues a new meaning and purpose in what Christians have traditionally called a vocation, a calling. And that's what happens to this man after he meets Jesus and experiences healing and freedom and transformation from God. And when this intense encounter comes with Jesus, the man begs. He begs to be a disciple of Jesus. That's what he says in verse 38. He begs to follow Jesus, to be near this rabbi who has changed his life. And this seems like a very reasonable response. Wouldn't you want to do that too? Your whole life you've been tormented, estranged, alone, hurting yourself, hurting others. And in an instant, your life is changed. Wouldn't you want to follow this man? Why would you not want to be close to someone like Jesus? But in this situation, Jesus has different plans for this man. He sends the man home to tell others of what God has done for you. This is not surprising. Jesus has done this before. He did this with the Samaritan woman he meets at the well, and she goes back and tells the whole village of what Jesus has done for her. For others, he's told them after healing them to go and show yourself to the priest or go and tell others what has happened to you. But for others, like the 12 disciples, he asks them to drop everything that they do, to leave their jobs, leave their what, what pays the bills and supports the families, and to go and follow him. So the question for us is, are, is either of these more worthy and more admirable in God's kingdom than the other? No. The most important thing is to hear and obey the voice of Jesus calling you. See, depending on our situation, depending on the particular season of our lives, hearing Jesus' call might mean spending a significant portion of our time in deep formation, in the service of Jesus, and in his mission to serve others and equip others. This, is often, this often happens in the precious moments of, of growth when we first encounter the reality of God's love in Christ. At other times of our lives, though, our vocation, our calling at that time might simply to be serve, serve as the primary caregiver for our children at home. That's a vocation, a worthy one. Other times, our vocation might be to work in the marketplace using the gifts and skill sets that we've developed and that God has given to us. The most important thing is to humbly hold this sense of vocation, which is ultimately about hearing Jesus' voice calling each one of us to himself. That's what we, why we learn to pray. That's why we learn to commune with God, as we've been reminded in the prayer practice series in the previous month. However we might hear 
Jesus' voice calling us specifically in whatever season of life we are in. This scene reminds us that the vocation, the vocation for all of us as Jesus' followers is simply to go and tell others what God has done for us. Go and tell. This is the core calling for every Jesus follower to hear, to tell others of what life looks like when it's lived in God's love. And at times, this might mean a literal and direct presentation of the gospel story in how sin and selfishness disrupts God's flourishing for me, but also for the world around me. So we should always be ready to share the good news in this way. But at other times, telling others what God has done for us is a little less direct in the way that we do our jobs, in the way that we master our craft, in the way that we treat others that we interact with with honesty and integrity. And still at other times, telling others what God has done comes out in how we give generously of our time and resources to those who are overlooked, to those who are in need. Those who have encountered God's transforming love in Christ find themselves moved towards the needs of this world rather than away from them. Followers of Jesus resist this pull to upward mobility in favor of selfless, downward mobility that Jesus models for us in going to the cross and passing through the grave to the resurrection. We can go and tell how much God has done for us by giving our lives away rather than adding more and more to our lives. This is the holistic, the whole person, whole world salvation calling that Jesus' kingdom comes to invite us into. This is Jesus' wellness program that he invites you and I into. From dislocation to salvation to vocation. In light of the scene in Luke chapter 8, the question for us today is, will we respond like this man to tell everyone what God has done for us? Or will we respond like his people, telling God to move on, stay out of my business? It costs too much. And as a result, we miss out on all that God offers to us and offer, offers to the world through you. Jesus offers a wellness that far exceeds anything that we could ever imagine for ourselves or for the world around us. It begins and ends this kind of wellness with Jesus. And may you trust Jesus with your wellness and boldly tell others what God has done for you. Amen.